Well, good morning. Um, my family and I, we had a, the great privilege of joining the team down there in Juarez. And, and before we dive into our Bible teaching today, I just want to comment on two related, related things from the trip. Um, one was an observation of how much of a blessing it is that we've got a congregation like ours that is as generous as it is. You know, at a time when so many churches are having to cut back um, on what they can do with their own congregation, what they can give, we've been able to do more and give more because we've got folks who are really generous financially. And if you're at all like me, there are days, most days, where giving is a discipline. It's a discipline. You look at your budget and, and you look at this check and then you're making a conscious choice because it's not coming easy. It's an act of worship. It's an act of faith. It's an act of obedience. But I hope you're able to rejoice when you hear reports like this and you're able to see with your own eyes, wow, what we're doing is making a difference. I hope, I hope you can rejoice in that. And secondly, um, what I'd like to do before we begin our Bible teaching this morning is to encourage you to find your Juarez. I think all of us need a Juarez. It doesn't have to be international. It can be right here in Shoreview. It can be, um, it can be in the city. But to find your place like that. It's so, you know, I think about Jesus when he walked on the earth. And when Jesus walked on the earth and the people he was talking to, they all saw poverty firsthand. Most of them were experiencing what we would consider severe poverty. It was part of their life. They saw injustice everywhere they went. They were an occupied area. And so when Jesus was talking to his people about, you know, generosity and caring for the poor and, and battling injustice, he was talking to people that saw it every day. You know, and in the suburbs, most of us don't see it every day. And so I believe it's so important to, to find some place, some people you can partner with, where you're seeing these things with your own eyes. You're encouraging them firsthand. I, I, I look out here and I know most of you. And, and I know none of you want to waste your one and only life. No one wants to. And one of the best ways to avoid a life characterized by trivial pursuits and insatiable materialistic desires is to find your Juarez, a place that helps put everything back in perspective. And most of you already have, at least many of you already have. You found some partner, you found some people where you can get involved. And all I would say is if, if you haven't yet, let us know. We'd love to help you with that. We know some, some good, uh, good partners. All right, well, let's move on to today's Bible teaching. Uh, last week was part one, if you're just joining us, part one of a four-part series and the title of the series is called Worth Fighting For. And it really struck me this last week that, you know, that title has a whole lot of baggage with it. And I really should have spent some time last week probably unpacking some of that, that baggage. Because I want to make it clear what this is not about. What this series isn't about. This is a title that, especially if you're involved in the cultural and political wars surrounding marriage, you might interpret this one way. And I don't want you to misinterpret this series and what we're trying to accomplish and what we're not trying to accomplish with this series. In fact, I almost changed the title in light of all those things because I knew people were going to take this the wrong way and I didn't want that to happen. But if I were to change the title, I would have been in part betraying the very points I'm trying to make. And I didn't want to do that either. So rather than attempt to replace the title of this series with a title that defies all possible misconception, which is possible, right? Um, let me instead do my very best to clearly articulate what the series is and what this series is not. This is a series about marriage. 
It's a series about marriage. But the title has absolutely nothing to do with aggressively confronting those who define marriage differently than you do. If that's your takeaway from, from this title of this series, you're making that up yourself. That was not my intent. That's not what we're trying to do. That's not the fight that we're referring to in this series. What we're referring to as a fight in this series is a very personal battle. A very personal battle that men and women face. As controversial as the term marriage has become, I would hope, I would hope, I would expect, knowing you, I would expect that everyone in this room would encourage, would encourage a man and a woman who freely and wholeheartedly enter into a distinctly Christian marriage covenant to not just keep their vows, but to passionately pursue God's vision for what their marriage can be. I would hope, I would expect that everyone, if, if there's a man and a woman that are trying to pursue this, that we would cheer them on as they try to make their marriage the focus of their best efforts and the subject of their most heartfelt prayers to fight for that marriage that they always dreamed of. Can we agree to, to go there? All right. Enough disclaimers. All right. Well, later this fall, just in case you haven't been around here, later this fall, we're going to spend a full six weeks on sexual orientation. And, and looking at that through a biblical lens. So we are going to go there and go there together and, and spend time in God's word on that. But this is a different series. This is a very focused series looking at a marriage between a man and a woman. That's what the series is about. And here's the passage that we spent most of our time in last week, in case you messed, missed it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says this. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one. Well, last week, we spent most of our time right here in Genesis 2, in this passage and some passages surrounding it. And we saw how it was not good for the man to be alone when God created the world. And we saw that Eve was created, in part, to provide strength in the area that Adam lacked. We also read that both men and women were created in the image of God, and together, as men and women we are able to more completely reflect God and his image to our world. On top of all of this, we discovered that it's only together, and this is so profound to me. God did this on purpose. He didn't have to do it this way, but he did it this way. On top of all this, we discussed that it's only together, it's only together as men and women that we can bring eternal beings into this world who bear both the image of their father and mother, while at the same time bearing the very image of God himself. That is profound. And that's one of the things that God's trying to do through the specific covenant of marriage. And next week, and in the week that follows that, we're going to build even more on this. And we're going to see that this is extremely profound. This is more than someone just finding someone to do life with. This, this is something even more than that. We're going to see that the New Testament builds even further and that marriage between a man and woman, when a man and woman follow biblical principles, it reveals mysteries about God's relationship between Christ and his church. This is the most spiritually profound covenant that two people could enter into. Wow. The Bible itself testifies in regards to this covenant, that this isn't a covenant for everybody. The Bible itself testifies to that. The Bible testifies that there's those who it's not for them because they don't like how high that bar is set. In fact, that was the case with Jesus' disciples. Jesus himself quoted 
Genesis 2, 24. And when Jesus quoted Genesis 2, 24, and he was raising the bar for a lot of people that he was speaking to, some of his own disciples said, I don't know if that was included, but I include that. But they, 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 they were taken aback, right? And they said, if that's the way it is, if we can't get out of this thing when we want to, if she doesn't meet our expectations and we can't as men get out of that, it's better not to get married. So there's some that this isn't for them because they want to lower the bar. The Bible testifies to that. But the Bible also testifies to some other folks and says it's not for these folks either. People who are wanting to do honorable, God-honoring things with their life. It's not for some of them. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, a first century believer named Paul, and we're going to look at some of his other words here in just a few minutes. A first century believer named Paul, he made a pitch. He said, some of you are single and you should just stay single. He goes, time is short. Your time on earth is short. And if you want to live a life of complete, undivided devotion to the Lord, remain single and just follow me. And there's some people that take up that call. And that is a good, that is an honorable thing to do. There's others who remain single because they say, I'm not comfortable lowering the bar. And look what the scripture says about the type of man, the type of woman that I should be married to. I look at what the Bible says about, about, about the, the type of relationship we're to pursue, and I'm not going to just settle. I'm not going to be married unless I find somebody who will do that with me together. So there's, there, this isn't for everybody. It isn't for everyone. But that said, if this is the type of relationship, Genesis chapter 2, marriage, is something that you desire, or if it's something you just want to better understand, or if you have kids that might get married someday, or if you have friends who are married, or if you have friends who might be married, I cover everybody yet? Then this is a series for you. It's a series for you. And what we're going to do today, because this is part two of a four-part series, what we're going to do today is we're going to focus on something very specific. We're going to focus on the battle, how, we're going to focus on how the battle for the marriage that you've always dreamed of begins before you say, I do. I see some people doing the bobblehead. You know, it, it's so true. The marriage, the, the, the battle for the marriage you've always dreamed of, it begins long before you ever say, I do. Every weekend, every weekend, all around the world, after months and months of planning and thousands and thousands of dollars, single people will put on clothes that they'll only wear once. They will walk down an aisle, surrounded and be by family and friends. And then someone like me steps up, and we ask them to make some promises. Promises that they aren't prepared to keep. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that they're purposely lying, you know. It's not that they don't intend to keep their promises. They have great intentions. They come forward and they're like, yes, I'm going to do this forever and for always and for all time and all that. But when the honeymoon's over and the rose coloring wears off the lenses... Promises that were made with the best of intentions can so easily get second-guessed and they can simply get neglected. And, and what happens is often when they find themselves experiencing that life isn't what I thought it would be, a thought begins to cross their mind with increasing regularity and that thought is, maybe I just married the wrong person. Maybe if I just... Start over with somebody else, it'll be different. And I want to present to you that it's not always that simple. In fact, it's rarely that simple. And the explanation that I'm going to give you is certainly oversimplification, too. There's all kinds of reasons. 
But one of them, and I would argue it's major, comes down to this. And there's a place to write this down in your notes. A lot of it comes down to this, that promises are no substitute for what? For preparation. Let me say that again. A promise is no substitute for preparation. Now, this is a principle that you already know because you apply this in almost every area of life. You know this to be true. I think about every time I go down to Juarez, every time I come back, next time I'm going to learn Spanish. (laughs) I've been doing that for 25 years. (laughs) Next time, you know. Oh, and, And that promise is no good if I don't get myself a Roca de Rosetta, you know, a little, one of those Rosetta Stone things or something. You know, I, I need to get training. I need to take the classes. I need to learn it. I can promise all day long, todos los días. Pero, I can't, I'm done. Uh, that's my, but, but you need to actually prepare. You need to actually prepare. A promise doesn't count if you're not preparing. Um, another example, I started running again. And in my first inglorious race out of retirement, I missed bringing home hardware and I got beat. By a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> Her name is Nora. I looked it up. And, and I tell you right now, I want to promise you and the world, next year I am bringing home hardware, and next year I am going to blow Nora away. I want to promise you that. But I, I, I dare not promise you that unless I commit to preparing for the Thicker's 5K next April, which I am right now preparing for, you know? And, and you can relate to this, right? You could promise, I'm going to make that dean's list. You could promise, I'm going to get all conference. You could promise that I'm going to learn to play a ukulele. You can promise anything, but that promise is only as good as the preparation. We know this, right? Then why does so few people apply this to the most important covenant that two people can make with one another. Why do we think that in all other areas of life we can just, we have to prepare to promise, but in marriage, if we're just sincere, and they're sincere, that it's all going to just work out. Promises are no substitute for preparation. This is common sense, but apparently common sense isn't that common. So related to marriage, here's a question. And I encourage you to write this down, either if this applies to you as a single person now, or if this applies to someone that you know or might meet someday. So start writing, because this applies to all of us. Will you commit now to becoming a person who can keep their promises later? That's one of the things that you want to do. You want to be a person who can keep the promises that they make later, if you plan to make promises with somebody. Now, as counterintuitive as this sounds, it is much, much easier to work on your marriage before you get married. Can I have an amen? I mean, that might sound crazy, but it is so much easier to work on your marriage before you get married than it is after. After, it is so much harder. It is so much more complicated. So much damage is done. There's all these cultural expectations. There are so many reasons why it's so much easier to work on your marriage now than it is later. And here's the type of work, here's the type of training, here's the type of of actions that you want to engage in. Here's, I encourage you to write this down as well. Are you becoming the person you are looking for is looking for? Don't just go out there looking for Mr. Perfect, Miss Perfect. Are you becoming the person that you're looking for is looking for? There's your training. If you aren't married and want to be married someday, I cannot 
think of a more important principle than this one. I think it trumps everything. And for those of you who are married, I, I want to put this up on the screen. Just change it just ever so slightly. Are you becoming the person you want to be married to is married to? We're going to come back to that over the next couple weeks. This question has more potential, right here, the one on the screen, this question has more potential to turn your marriage around than just about any question I can think of. There's no guarantees because two people are in the relationship. But I believe with all my heart that hope starts when one person starts here. That's where hope begins. If neither person is willing to do this, there's no hope of it turning around by itself. Not in a fallen world. Now, for the sake of time, we're going to put that one on, on pause. We're going to come back then talking to those who aren't married right now but hope to be married someday. Let's go back to that question. Are you becoming the person you're looking for is looking for? I referenced this a little bit earlier, but one of the most common relationship myths in America is the right person myth. That someday you meet Mr. Perfect or Miss Perfect, the two of you will then instantly ride off into the sunset happily ever after because they will fulfill every missing thing that you were looking for. They will just complete you. Every day will be blissful because it's breakfast in bed for you every morning as they make breakfast in bed every morning for you, right? Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Counselors are available after the service. For those that amen at the wrong times. Um, (laughs) Or those who amen at the right times a little too loudly. You'll need a different type of counseling. Okay, now here's the point though. If you want to have a great marriage, you will need to love your husband and wife in spite of. In spite of, often. And they will need to love you in spite of. Not because you're perfect, not because they're perfect, but in spite of our imperfections. We just have to be careful though not to take that too far. And that's where we're going with a question like the one on the screens. You won't find a perfect person, but if you, but not if, but you only want to share your life with someone who's heading the same direction. Because if you find a person who says, oh, I'm all about this relationship, but they're heading this way, and you're heading that way, you don't want to get married until you get those lives heading the same way. It's so important. And again, I'm seeing these nods. I'm seeing people, you get this, you know. And you who are single now, you have an opportunity to get this right the first time. Again, we apply this to almost every area of our life except relationships. You know, marriage rarely changes people. Marriage itself rarely changes people unless some person comes into that marriage wanting to change and desiring to change. Marriage itself rarely changes people. Those who have a spending problem now will have a spending problem once they get married. Those who have sex outside of marriage now are much more likely to have sex outside of marriage once they get married. If you eat too much now, if you drink too much now, if you aren't responsible now, you are highly, highly likely to bring those same behaviors into your marriage. If anything, they're likely to get worse. The good is often amplified and so is the bad. A promise, regardless of how sincere and how heartfelt, is not as good an indicator of future behavior as the direction they're going now and the direction they're headed. I was listening to a podcast by a pastor named Andy Stanley. He's got a lot of good stuff. And he was talking very frankly to the young adults in his congregation. 
And he, he was going on and on. He's a Georgia guy. And he's just going on and on about, about these couples and how they, they fall in love and they see all this potential. And they just get blinded by it. Oh, when we get married, it's going to be perfect because he said it's going to be perfect. Oh, when we get married, she's going to change even though she doesn't want to change now. She'll change when we get married. And so they see all this potential. And so someone will speak into their life and they'll say, yeah, but aren't you a little concerned about this or that or the other thing? And they'll say, no, we're not concerned because we have a song. We got a song. And the parents look at them and say, yeah, but does he have a job? And they're like, we don't care because we won't need money. We're in love. You know, if you're looking for potential, which we all are people of potential, if you're looking for that, look at their path. You don't have to look at all of their past mistakes because there are people who they, God brings them out of that. And they overcome huge obstacles. But what path are they on now? What, how are they walking out? What does their life look like? What kind of choices are they making? What does their past and their path reveal about their future? And if you have concerns about what you see right now, it is much, 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 much easier and far, 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 far wiser to work on these things before you get married. Can people change? Absolutely. We have testimonies of that in our congregation. So many of them. You know, people who changed after they got married, people who changed in marriage. Do I believe in change? With all my heart. I wouldn't do this if I didn't believe in change. God changes hearts. God changes minds. God changes behaviors. God, God sets people free from things. Absolutely believe that with all my heart. But if you have big concerns with someone you're considering marrying, work out the big concerns first. Don't go in with the expectation that marriage itself will just change things. All right. Well, what we're talking about today taps into deep scriptural principles. And we could go to almost, well, we could go to many books of the Bible. And we could turn to there and we could see, yep, here's this principle playing out. When I was in Juarez, I reread 1 Timothy. So let's look at that one because it jumps out at me at 1 Timothy. If you have your Bibles, please open them with me to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 7 and 8 here. And I want to let you know as you're opening up your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free today. We always keep a stack of them there in the back on, by either door, and we encourage you just to take one. Don't have to sign anything. Don't let us know. They're there for the purpose of giving them to you, so you would bless us if you would take it and read it, and you'd bless yourself as well. Here we go. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. This is, and this passage is coming, I referenced a guy earlier, it's coming from a guy named Paul, mature follower of Jesus. This is from a first century letter, a real letter from this person, Paul, mature believer, to a person he was discipling, a younger guy named Timothy. So he says this to Timothy. He says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. I want to hit pause there for a second. We have so many of those that we could fall into. I mentioned some of them earlier. This idea of the right person myth, that if I just meet the right person, then everything will be easy and perfect. Don't buy into that. Don't be too quick to trust a promise. You know, what was that? There was an 80s song. There's an 80s song for everything, but there's something about... You, you got to... I won't even try it. Okay, I got to get off that quick. All right, so don't, don't assume that a promise, a promise is going to be kept if they don't have a record of keeping... The promises of the life looks really different. And don't just assume also that your intentions can overcome your lack of preparation. Don't just assume that it's going to be easy and you'll just be able to get through that. So there's some things. Don't, don't get into the, to the godless myths. All right, but now here, look at this. 
Verse 8. Or right before verse 8, it says, Train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. Physical training is of some value. Oh, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise both for this present life and the life to come. And as we go through, what we're going to do with our remaining couple minutes is we're just going to quickly apply this. We're going to take this principle and then just talk about six ways, really quickly, six ways that you could apply this principle to relationships if you hope to be married someday. And you're going to find that it doesn't just apply to them. If you already are married, this applies to us. And if you don't plan to be married in the future, this still applies to us. So there's tra- this training has value in all things. All right, here we go. One principle. And, and I could have picked a number of them. Here, here, I, here are six that I, that I picked. If you want to prepare to be a promise keeper when it comes to marriage, if you want to train yourself to be godly, number one, set out to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. It starts there. That might seem like Christianese, but but think about this for a second. We talked about this last week. One of the purposes of marriage appears to be to make us more like Christ. That for your marriage to work, you have to serve in a way that doesn't come naturally. You have to give and forgive in a way that doesn't come naturally. You're going to need supernatural power to help you. It, it makes you more like Christ. So why would you not want to start being like Christ now? If you're like Christ now, you're just going to continue to do that as you get married. One of the other things we looked at uh, last week about, about marriage, and, and one of the things we'll look at in the, going forward, is how one of the purposes of marriage is to help the world better understand the relationship between Christ and the church. Well, you can start doing that now, too. And that'll just continue into marriage. And here's a bonus above all that. A bonus is Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. So the more you begin to follow Jesus, the more you're going to find God guiding you in your relationships. He'll steer you away sometimes for relationships that might otherwise seem right. I think about my, myself when I was in college. When I was in college, I was an upperclassman, and, and I met this girl, and pretty girl, great Christian values, great Christian home. I'm thinking, check, check, check. She's got the checklist. I should probably... I'm going to be engaged before I'm out of here. This is all going to work according to plan. You know, so all that's going to my head. But I, but I heard this whisper, and it wasn't audible, but I, I heard this whisper that I was supposed to break up with her and that she was supposed to date my roommate. I'm like, what? Can you imagine how that conversation goes, right? But here's the thing. It's what was supposed to happen because that girl wasn't Laura. And that girl married my roommate, and now they have like 8,000 kids. Okay, only nine. I was exaggerating. Might as well be 8,000, you know, and that wasn't my life path. That wasn't my life path. So it's all good, you know? So, so there's one of your bonuses too. God can help you say, this one's, this is right. This is not right. As you become a disciple of Jesus, it helps in all things. All right, here's another thing. If you want to train yourself to be godly, oh, become increasingly self aware. And right now, all the counselors are going to go, you're only going to spend one minute on this? You could spend a lifetime. Yeah, you could spend a lifetime on this. This is a moving target. You will never become completely self-aware. But the more self-aware you can be coming into a marriage, the better. We have so much going on under the surface. We have so much going on. We have issues related to our past. We have issues related to our parents. Everyone has those. Everyone has those. We have unique personalities. We have unique strengths. We have unique weaknesses. We are complex people. And you bring all that complexity into a relationship. 
And without understanding some of it, you put expectations that shouldn't be there on your husband, on your wife. You know, most people that come in, they're having conflict in their marriage, they come into a, a, into a counseling situation, and, and, and he's saying, she makes me so mad. And she's saying, he drives me crazy. And a good counselor will not let you get away with that. They won't let get you away with just pointing fingers. Because almost all of the, he drives me crazy, almost all of the, she makes me so mad, is really, well, what does it say about you? It, there's, there's so much there. Here's, here's a quote by um, a couple of Christian uh, counselors, and they say this. If you, attempt, if, you attempt, if you attempt to build intimacy with a person before you've done the hard work of becoming a whole and healthy person, every relationship will be an attempt to complete the whole in your heart. And most of us find this out after a couple years of marriage, or maybe even more. How much better to be aware of that going in. So much better. All right, um, another one. Let's take a look at this. Number three, serve those you love. You want to have a great marriage? Practice now serving those you most take for granted. It's ironic. You'd think that right, it would come most naturally to serve those you love. Really? How well do you serve your brothers and sisters? How well do you serve your parents if you live at home? How much do you serve your roommates if you're living with roommates? Think how often it's so hard. It, it sometimes is harder to serve your spouse. So start now. Start now to become a, a person who follows Christ and who came not to be served but to serve. And practice that now so that the momentum carries over into your relationship. And it's just naturally, it's just natural, it's just natural to serve those you love. Number four. Oh, we need this. Extend lots and lots and lots of grace and forgiveness to yourself and others. If you want a great marriage, start doing that now. You know, and start with yourself. Start by... My, by going back into the scriptures and deeply soaking into how much grace God extends to us and how much forgiveness he extends to us. And then out of that place, you're able to begin to forgive yourself as you begin to see what this world is and, and, and our real nature. You can start to forgive yourself and go, the past is the past. And there's nothing we can do about that. And you're able to, to, to be able to start to now with a, with a self that's forgiven yourself, you're able to now start extending that to others and say, well, they're fallen people too. And we all stand in need of grace all the time. And we're going to continue to stumble. We're going to continue to fall along the way. And again, I don't want to oversimplify this, but it, it's central. It is central to healthy relationships to be able to forgive yourself over and over again, to be able to extend, extend grace and forgiveness to others. Number five. <coughs> Develop a supportive network of Christian friends and mentors. If you want to have a great marriage in the future, do this now. Get a great supportive network of Christian friends and mentors. I believe in this so strongly that we just switch things now the way we do pre-marriage. We require this. There's not a lot of things we require before you get married. This is one that we now require. Who is your supportive network? Do you have a real church family? Not are you attending church. Do you have a real church family? Do you have people who pray for you? Do you have people that are supporting you? Do you have people that are encouraging you? Do you have people to hold you accountable? Do you have people that are, that are walking the path that you're walking, that can cheer you up along the way and encourage you and support you and provide resources and ideas and warnings and suggestions and all those good things? 
We all need this. And then one of the benefits, it's a pretty obvious benefit, of surrounding yourself with other Christians is you're likely to meet one who's walking the same path with you. I look out, and I know a lot of you from youth, direct, youth, uh, youth group days, some of you met some of the people at our church I, that have performed weddings. They met in youth group. I met my wife at camp. Some of you met your, your spouse at a Christian school or a Christian event. What a great place to be. All right, number six, last one we're going to look at today. Not because it's the last one, period, but the last one to look at today. If you want to have a great marriage in the future, honor God with your body now. Let me say that again. If you want to have a great marriage in the future, honor God with your body now. And I purposely worded it that way. I could have worded it a lot differently, but it really ultimately is about honoring God because ultimately what marriage is about is about representing to the world God's faithfulness to us and our faithfulness to God. That's ultimately what that's about. Now, there's certainly benefits when we do this with our own lives, when we apply this to our own lives. When you honor God in this way, he blesses your relationship. I can't think of anything that causes more pain in relationships than someone's sexual past or can cause more hurt. So this is something to commit to now or recommit to now. And men, right in 1 Timothy, take a look at this. This is out of that same letter that we were looking at earlier, that same letter from a wise Christian to this younger Christian. Paul says this, and this is through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, don't rebuke older men harshly. Exhort them as if they were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as what? Say it with me, men sisters with absolute purity. If you're not married to that girl, treat her as a sister with absolute purity. I was out running errands. I'm about to rant, just so you know. <laughs> I was out running errands, and I was listening to KFAN, um, a station I listen to a lot. It's a sports talk radio. And on the, this radio, they were talking about Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. And this one guy, a radio personality, he starts talking about how mocking people like me and saying, what kind of red-blooded American guy doesn't look at the swimsuit edition? Oh, I wanted to just climb through that radio and say, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what kind of red-blooded American guy doesn't look at that, that edition. A guy who wants to honor God and be faithful to the scripture where it says don't even look upon a woman who you're not married to in that kind of way. Don't treat her like an object. And, and I'll tell you what kind of guy doesn't look at that. A guy that wants to honor his current wife or his future wife doesn't look at that and get all these images that are so unrealistic and so unhealthy and so addictive and destructive. In his mind. That's who doesn't look at this. You know, another one of my rants, if you want to get me ranting sometime off here, um, <laughs> just bring up the phrase adult content and mature audiences. There is nothing adult about most of those adult films. I haven't seen them, but there's nothing adult about them, right? There's nothing mature about most of those things that have the mature label. That's junior high stuff. That's how we used to look at girls when we were boys in junior high. 
And it wasn't okay then, and it's not okay now. That is not mature. That is not adult. That is immature. Immature. Amen. Because a mature man, a mature man says, I'm not going to look at a woman as an object. A mature man says, this is a person. This is a whole person. You know, the same Paul who wrote what we've just been looking at here in First Timothy, he wrote elsewhere. He said, when I was a child, I acted like a child. When I became a man, I put childish things behind me. Men, can we agree to put childish things behind us? And I know it's a lot easier to put away your action figures. You know? And so I don't want to minimize how hard it is. And if, in fact, you're going to need help. Let me just say that. You'll need help. And I know most men, they don't want to be engaging in these things. And if you want to try to break out, uh, it's a long road. But there's people that would love to help. Just let us know. All right. Women. Real quick. No ranting for you. <laughs> no ranting for you. I, I'll, I only want women to rant towards women. Men should not rant towards women. Um, but here's what, here's what Paul says. And he's not ranting. He just says it. He says, therefore, and this is out of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Therefore, I, I want men everywhere again. He has a lot to say to us. I want men everywhere to pray. Lift up your holy hands without anger, without disputing. And, and I want the women, he says, to dress modestly. I want the women to dress modestly. And then he says some things that were cultural modesty things there. But the, the, the last part of it certainly applies to us. You, you know, don't, don't, don't try to... To, to just dress with this outward focus, but really you should adorn yourself with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Clothe yourself in good deeds, in those types of behaviors. And that, that Pastor Andy Stanley, who I referenced several times here, he had some strong things to say. He, he used a fishing analogy and, and said, don't troll with your bodies, girls. Don't troll with your bodies. He says you're just going to catch body snatchers if you troll with your body. And then he said this. He said, if you catch him, listen to this. Listen to this. If you catch him with the way you dress, you'll have to keep him with the way you dress. Did you hear that? If you catch him with the way you dress, you have to keep him with the way you dress. You don't want to put yourself there. Beauty fades over time. Inner beauty, physical beauty anyway. Physical beauty fades over time. Inner beauty can continue to grow throughout your life. Throughout your life. So if you want to have a great marriage, honor God. Honor God with your body. Starting today. Starting today. Nobody can go back. But we can start today. And, a, and the person you're looking for, they're going to want to see starting today. Because that's all anyone can do. Continue to begin down that path where you're faithful to God and your future spouse. Well, any of the six that I just gave you, they could be a series all in and of themselves. My point wasn't to give some exhaustive treatment of the subject, but to just introduce this idea, if you haven't heard it before, that we can prepare now for the marriage that we hope for in, in the future. If you'd like to go deeper into this, um, the guy, the Andy Stanley, he did a four-part series specifically on this. You're single, you hope to be married someday, what are some some things to think about. I put the link there at the bottom of your notes and I encourage you to take a look at that in part because then each one of those messages, he sometimes will say, here's more resources, here's more resources, here's more resources. Well, as we close today, let's close with the closing verses of 1 Timothy. Here's how this pat thing that we've just been looking at, this, this letter, here's how it ends. It ends with this. It says, Timothy, and, and I, I think we could all put our names here. 
So as we're looking at this, imagine your own name being said, and this is the, the words of, of Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit for you. He says to you, guard, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. And don't you love that last sentence? Grace. As you go forward, you're going to fall. You're going to stumble. All these things are going to happen. Grace be with you all. May you experience that from God. I'm just, I'm with you. I'm for you. I I deeply desire for your desires of your heart to be fulfilled. There's a God who's for us, not against us. So let me pray for us as we go forth from this place. Let's pray. In fact, you can join me in, in with your heart, your spirits, praying these prayers. Father, we come to you together and we ask for your grace to be with us. Lord, I pray for those who, who have been walking a different path and they know that this path is, is not the one that you would have them to be on. Father, would your grace come? Would you help them to see that, that they are loved deeply by you and that you care for them and, and you desire nothing more than for them to turn to you and from all that. Lord, you have them trust you today and would you fill them with your spirit as they reach out to you. Surround them with people that can help and encourage rather than shame and condemn. Lord, we pray for those who who long to be married and aren't right now. Lord, we pray that, that, that your visions for their life will be the ones that are on their hearts so that the desires of their hearts will be fulfilled as they pursue you. Lord, help us as they reach out to us. Lord, may we be people who, who surround them with love and, and, and all these things that they need to, so that it's not only coming from you, but it's coming from their church family. Lord, help them not to do, grow weary in doing good, but rather to trust you that, that, that doing the right things is always the right thing. Lord, we pray for those marriages where, where it's one person, just one, who's setting out to follow you. Lord, would you give them hope? Would you give them hope? Would you give them also people who can, can be there to listen to them as they share their struggles? But Lord, we pray for the day, and I pray you give them this vision. Pray for the day where that marriage could be reconciled. And Lord, for those of us who both want what you want, who are in marriages that we both want what you want. Lord, may that come to pass. You promised, you promised that, that where we agree on things that are according to your will, it'll be done. So Lord, do it. Break what needs to be broken. Restore what you would have to be fixed. Identify barriers. Fix those holes that we have. Lord, we know that it's possible for you to erase our sins as far as the east is from the west. Lord, would you help us to be able to do that with one another and with ourselves? That we could start fresh and new and build towards the relationship that you'd call us to. Lord, I pray for all the young folks here. Lord, who are, this, this is so countercultural. Lord, would, would you speak to them right now just in a way that I can't to tell them this is right, this is true? Do it, Lord. And Lord, with all of us, may we encourage, may we support each other as we pursue this. Lord, I also want to, one more, too, I want to thank those, Father, who 
went the distance with their marriage until death did them part. Lord, thank you for those widows in our midst who have so faithfully loved and modeled these things for us. Lord, bless them too. And now please stand and receive this blessing as we go forth. Please, please stand. Father, um, we pray now that as we go forth, you'll bless us with your peace. We're thankful that your grace goes with us. May we experience it as we go forth from this place. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I hope to see you next week.